We've been talking about Paul for two years, a little over two years. We're trying to bring the fella to a conclusion, but there are just a few more things, and I'm hoping to finish gifts. This was the one-week class that's now grown to three, and as I was finishing the touches on it at about five in the morning, Saturday morning, I realized we could really do one more week on gifts. Uh, uh, I'm not sure anybody would still be here, but Part of me thinks you'd all be here because there are still some questions that you might like answered as we go through it. We've got some friends here that uh, 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 I haven't seen in a long, long time from Lubbock. Uh, uh, um, Not close friends, but but, uh, one of the, the people I was meeting reminded me, hey, I remember when you taught an adult Sunday school class when you were like 14 or 16 at, at the, the church where I grew up. And I'm hoping that I've learned some things since then, and this is a little better. So don't get up and flee. But I'm grateful to see you again and to have you here. Uh, we have been talking about gifts, and so I need to ask you, and if you've already read your sheet, you're not allowed to cheat, so you can't answer the quiz. If you haven't read your paper in front of you, you're allowed to answer. Okay, well, I've just ruined the PowerPoint. That is the answer, and it's not supposed to be there. Um, the question was going to be, who remembers uh, 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 the various characters, Veruca Salt, uh, Char- uh, Augustus Gloop, um, Charlie Bucket, um, the various characters in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, depending upon which movie version you saw. But, uh, uh, or maybe you read the book by Roald Dahl, who used to work for Shell, by the way, Steve Taylor, um, before he became an author. Uh, back in the, he worked in Africa for the Shell Petroleum Company. Anyway, Roald Dahl, uh, my question was, do you remember any of those characters or have you seen the movie? Okay, I read the book. You remember that the characters would go into, they, they won the ticket to the chocolate factory, right? And they just think they're there to tour this exclusive chocolate factory. They go into the chocolate factory and they don't realize that actually Willy Wonka is trying to find his successor. But the successor has to have the right heart, the right attitude. And so the kids go through, and in one room after another, the greedy, selfish, uh, uh, focus-on-myself kids violate the rules and uh, eat themselves into oblivion, basically, or at least out of the contest. And then uh, ultimately Charlie gets the opportunity, uh, even though he wasn't perfect himself, but Charlie gets the opportunity because it's perceived he at least has the heart to carry on. I thought of that as I was getting ready for this lesson because I was trying to think of, of some outside example away from church that forces us to address this question, where is our focus? What is it that we focus on? And I say it in church and immediately many of us lapse into the lessons we've learned of what the answer to the question ought to be rather than what the answer to the question really is. So let me get more specific for you. Why do you go to church? Not why do you go to church, but why do you go to the church you go to? Why are you here at Champion Forest Baptist? Some of you come here to this class even though you attend other churches. And the question of why we attend church where we attend church is is the one I really want us to focus on for a minute because there are lots of answers to it. Let me rattle off some for me. Um, We attend 
uh, church here because I love you guys. We attend church here, and so does Becky. We love you guys. We attend church here because we love this class. We attend church here because the children's program is what we think is needed by our children. We attend church here because I love David Fleming's sermons. We attend church here because we love the worship service. We attend church here because it's conveniently close to our house. Which means we'll show up more than if we were attending church in Galveston. We attend church here because we've been here for 10 years. So it's a nice, comfortable rut. We know what to expect. We attend church here because we're committed to come here. We attend church here because we have family who goes to church here. There are lots of reasons we go to church here. Let me tell you some reasons I've left other churches I used to go to. I've left churches because I did not like the worship and I did not consider it edifying. I've left churches because I did not agree with some of the key teachings and I didn't want my children reared there. I've left churches because I was real mad at a bunch of people there. <laughs> this is, I told you this is honesty time, okay? I'm not saying any of the reasons I go here are the right reasons and I'm not saying any of the reasons I left those other places are the right reasons to leave. I'm just being honest. I just want you to be honest. So why do I go to church here? Why, why have I left other churches? Well, I, I say that because there are reasons that are good and there are reasons that, that are not so good. And I think some of it is that question of where is our focus? Is our focus on me? Is going to church all about me? Our focus at church, like life, but let's keep it in church right now. Our focus needs to be on the Lord and what's about the Lord. Worship is important because we're worshiping the Lord. Sermons are important because they're proclaiming the Lord. I'm not saying how you respond is unimportant. How you respond is important and it's a valid reason to go to one church or another because of how it ministers to you. But only in reference to the fact that God has called you to grow in his body. It's still only about you after it goes through being about God. Because the, that, that way you don't lose out, okay, where does God want me giving? Not just where does God want me getting does it make sense? So I'm not throwing rocks at folks who, you know, uh, heavens, David Fleming's not going to throw rocks at people who go to church one place and then come here for class. Or who go to church here and go some other place for class. Because it is important you find where God wants you to grow. But the reason it's important is not because of you or me. It's important because that's what he wants. Does that make sense? So that's why we go to church here. Now, what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, and what this is week three on, is this issue um, of uh, gifts. So we've got a review slide up there. We talked about the different words that Paul has for gifts. 
We went through those words. There's the formal gift like a king would give. There's just the present, the common ordinary gift. We went through a number of different words that Paul uses that we don't get uh, uh, to the full flavor of simply reading our English Bibles. But we've landed last week and this week on Paul's word charisma. In different places he adds the T-A and it's charismata. And I missed it. Mike gave it to me, but he gave it to me too late to do anything about the song. Charisma Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Charisma Matata. Ain't no passing craze. Means Paul's gifting for the church of the day. It's his troublesome <laughs> philosophy. Charisma Matata. Um, yeah, you can't say trouble-free when you're talking about the charismatic gifts. That's not been the history, has it? Um, charisma, charismata, we discussed, is a word really that Paul made up. Paul took the Greek word for grace, charis, or gift or favor. He added ma and mata to make it a, a, a gift of gifts, a gifting gift. A giving, a a graceful gift. It's a made-up word that the church came to adopt. But it's really Paul just making something up. Because Paul was looking for a word to express concretely, objectively, uh, God's giving. Charismata, charisma gifts are a concrete expression of God's giving. I really want to drive that point home. Charisma is, in Paul's usage, say it with me, a concrete expression of God's giving. It's a concrete expression. It's what you see. So for Paul, charisma, charismatic gifts include the death of Christ on the cross. He calls that a charisma gift. It's a concrete expression of God giving to his people. You're fanning because it's hot in here. Okay. I agree. If anybody wants my coat, (laughs) you're welcome to it. Um, The charisma gifts, those are concrete expressions of God giving. And that's what we've got with Paul. Now, we talked about it in Romans 12 last week because Paul gave a lift of charisma gifts, only one of which, I might add, looked to us miraculous. The rest of them looked to us like uh, pretty common things. Because Paul wasn't zoning in, zooming in on what's a miracle and what's not. We live in a science age where in the the post-industrial revolution, we understand things that they didn't understand then. We understand principles they didn't understand then. We fill in many of the gaps of knowledge that didn't exist. There's a whole theology that's built up called uh, uh, the um, uh, theology of gaps in a sense. God of the gaps. Here's, Here's the idea. Among many primitive people, this is what they knew. They might know how to start fire. They might know how to make steel. Well, not steel, at least iron. During the Iron Age, they learned copper, other metals. Here's what they don't know. These are knowledge gaps. 
Make sense? You know, we understand weather systems. We understand what a hurricane is and what causes a hurricane. We have, we have uh, understanding that uh, they did not have in some ways back then. And a lot of primitive people would take these gaps and fill that in with God. And so whatever they did not know, they would just attribute to God. Oh, we didn't know the weather system came in. God must have, you know, you, you've got the Mayan primitives who are saying, oh, gee, we've had an eclipse. It's time to kill a virgin. You know, God's mad. The moon disappeared or, or the sun disappeared. Well, you know, as science fills in those gaps, some people, if they worship a God of the gaps, they lose their faith. We live in an age where there aren't nearly the gaps there used to be. What we know is a lot more. And so as a result of not having a, 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 as many gaps, you know, we, we zone in on what is a miracle in a different way than they did in Paul's time. Because we're thinking with all of our scientific knowledge about what really is a miracle versus what's not. And we don't realize sometimes, if we're not careful, that they did not make that distinction. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful book on miracles where he says get rid of that distinction. Because God might intervene in history and he might create something out of nothing. And the virgin might conceive and bear a child and that child will be named Jesus. Even though she'd not known a man because the Holy Spirit came upon her and God did something. But it is no less miraculous when God takes his finger and mixes it in the current events of human affairs and stirs things up to bring about a result. Because it's still God behind it. Make sense? So when we look at these charismatic gifts, we've got to keep that in mind. Because one of the questions we ask is, okay... Why did they happen then? And why did God give it? And how did he give it? I've put two pictures up here. The first one is wholeness and healing service. It's from a Presbyterian church's advertisement. They have healing services. I put the picture of Africa up here because I had a conversation with a Christian brother of mine who grew up in a charismatic home whose aunt had inoperable, incurable cancer. And the grandmother took her to the healing service at the charismatic church and she wasn't healed and she wasn't healed. And the grandmother heard that there are still miraculous healings happening in the mission fields in Africa and out in Africa. So the grandmother, like any parent would want to do for their child, wanted to sell everything she had to get her daughter to Africa to one of the miracle healing services. And the daughter would not go. Because the daughter said, God's not limited geographically. His power's not running any differently there than here. God heals, but if he didn't heal me here, unless God tells me to go to Africa, and it's some response to him out of faith, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to leave you in debt. And the ant dies. Now, what do we do with this as Christians? You know, how do we answer these questions? And I want to tell you, as we talk about it this morning, I, I need a word of caution to you. That God is God. And you can take all of the universe. And you can take all of the solar system. And you can take all that is created. And it is but a speck of dust in his hand. 
And somehow, somehow in the midst of the magnitude of space being a speck of dust in his hand, he knows your name. In the magnitude of space, the little planet Earth, which is a speck of dust in the magnitude of space. And you, who are a little speck of dust on the magnitude of the Earth. And you're billions of brain cells. He knows every one. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. And he knows the thought that's in your mind And the word that's on your tongue before you speak it. Okay, so what do we know about what God's doing? When you put it into that perspective, we know only the following. What God has chosen to reveal of himself to us. And the most clear revelation we have is through his scripture. And so we look to scripture to see what God has revealed to us about how he works and what these gifts are. But we do it with some measure of caution, yes, trepidation maybe, but respect definitely. Because God is God. And God can do whatever God wants to do. Whenever and however he wants to do it. And my job is to to either stand or fall flat on my face amazed in the presence. So I, I say that at the background. Now we'll look at scripture where God has given us revelation of himself and what he does. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. Really, if we were going into depth on this, which means if I stretch this lesson into one more week because y'all aren't all rebelling and leaving as we talk about gifts. But this is the largest single block in Paul's writings where he talks about spiritual gifts and charismatic gifts. And so we need to look at this section as a whole and we need to consider the subject matter when we look at it as a section. I send out my lesson to people on Saturdays, as you know. One of the readers of my lesson who has occasionally had input but rarely had rebuke not only rebuked me in writing yesterday, but rebuked me on the telephone to make sure that I read the email where he rebuked me in writing, and then went so far as to while I was gone out with the kids at their basketball games, driving to my house and leaving a bunch of typed notes on my kitchen counter to fix me. (laughs) And there are some small disagreements between me and this friend. But not nearly on the magnitude that he thought. So I think maybe I wrote the lesson poorly. I suspect rather that he might have been reading it with a different set of preconceptions of what I believe. And so maybe read it with a different spin than I actually put on it. But let's look at it in some some attention matter here on charisma. Now remember what charismatic gifts are to Paul? They are a concrete expression of God's giving okay so with that let's look at this block on spiritual gifts now I got to tell you where my friend and I have some minor disagreements I think they come from my friend zooming in on this passage when maybe 
I would urge us to be sure we zoom out first and put the passage into context. Okay? So, here's the context points. Point number one for context. We need to remember that Paul's writing to the Corinthians, but he's writing to Corinth after Corinth has already written to him to talk about some problems. You with me? This isn't Paul waking up one day saying, you know, I need to write those Corinthians. They're in a bit of trouble or hey, I need to da-da-da-da-da. Paul's been written a letter by the Corinthians and he's responding to that letter. Um, uh, you look at, for example, 1 Corinthians 7.1. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Well, if you look at your Bibles, they'll put quotation marks around that because uh, Paul starts it out with this Greek phrase, peri day, which is his phrase for now about what you've written. See, it was the Corinthians who wrote to Paul and said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's quoting them. Paul's not saying that. Paul doesn't make that statement. Paul says, now, I want to address what you, you wrote me. You wrote and said this. But let me tell you my thoughts on that subject. And Paul launches into his thoughts. So what we have here is kind of like a, um, like a one-way phone conversation. See, we're just hearing what Paul says. We don't have their letter to read first. It would be helpful, don't you think? And the reason I say that is there are times in this letter where scholars debate, oh gee, is Paul saying this himself or is he quoting them? Because you've got to have some flexibility as you read through this. So if we're going to read it in context, we need to understand the Corinthians have already written to Paul. There are problems the Corinthians are having that they've asked Paul to address or that Paul has perceived either through his ministry there or through the correspondence he shared with them. You with me? Okay, that's context one. Context issue number two. We're going to be reading about charismatic gifts in chapter 12, but we need to keep the flow of Paul's thought. Because there's flow to this letter. Paul doesn't just throw in that chapter. And so if we're going to follow the flow of Paul's thought... We need to understand that Paul starts in chapter 8 dealing with matters of worship. Whether or not you can go to the pagan idol worship and eat those feasts, even though we know there's no such thing as an idol. And Paul talks about how worship should be done. And then we see him in chapter 12 start dealing with the spiritual gifts. That's where we are today. But chapter 12 with spiritual gifts goes all the way through chapter 14 where Paul talks about the way the church is abusing tongues. Now my friend took that to mean in my paper that I am anti-speaking in tongues. I didn't take a position on that there in the letter. If we come back next week and we do this again, I'm glad to talk to you in more full depth about where I land on the issue. But I didn't take a position in the paper. But all I did in the paper is point out that Paul in chapter 14 says tongues are being abused in Corinth. 
because they're being abused, that means there's a right place for them and a place where they can be handled wrongly. And Paul's addressing the fact that they're handled wrongly in Corinth and it needs to be fixed. But if I want to go to that door and my goal is to get to that door and I'm right here, do you know what I've got to do? I've got to move to the door. So Paul's dealing with spiritual gifts in chapter 12, but he's moving to tongues and their abuse and how to fix them in 14. We've got to read chapter 12 fairly as one that's leading to chapter 14. It puts it into context. We understand he's laying the foundation for where he needs to go. That also, by the way, would not be so hard if we didn't take chapter 13 out so often and use it for weddings. Because chapter 13 is such an incredible entity in itself as it speaks about love, it's patient, it's kind, it's forgiving. Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. Because love is such a wonderful chapter that we pull out sometimes. We forget that it's actually part of Paul's discussion about spiritual gifts. As he moves toward the issue of tongues and an abuse of tongues in the church. And the right way tongues should be used. And so we, get, we, we, we lose track of that if we're not careful. So context. We need to keep in the flow of Paul's thought. Next issue. The gifts themselves. Let's look for a moment. Okay, we need a poll. How many of y'all will not come back next week simply because I've spread this into two weeks instead of one? Raise your hand. Two, three, okay, because here's the deal. We got 16 minutes left, and I got a lot to deal with if we're going to do this fairly. So I'm going to stretch this into two weeks. It's a 15-page lesson. It was too long anyway, all right? We generally make about eight pages a week. So I can either leave stuff out or we can come back. All right, we'll come back. Now. Let's look then at chapter 12, what Paul has to say to the Corinthians as he deals with this issue. Paul says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and by the way, the Greek in that can easily be read brothers and sisters. He's talking both. So ladies, you're not out of this, okay? In fact, in America, we understand women first. So I don't think Brother Paul would be upset if I said concerning spiritual gifts, sisters and brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. I can just see Paul saying that. However you were led. To mute idols that did not speak to you. We worship a God who speaks to us. We worship a God who has revealed himself not only in the heavens, which are his handiworks, but in our history in his word, through his son, and through his spirit. So we worship a God where the evidence is all around us, but the evidence is within us. We worship a God who speaks. Before they were led astray to dumb idols, to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, this has caused scholars to pull their hair out trying to understand what on earth this has to do with the context of what Paul's talking about. Were there really people in the church who would stand up and say Jesus is accursed? 
If there were, don't you think, scholars reckon, and I agree, Paul would make more than a passing reference to it. Oh, by the way, when you were cursing Jesus in church, that's not from God. I don't see Brother Paul just casually reinforcing that. I think Brother Paul would say whoever stood up and said Jesus is accursed and claimed God was saying it should be kicked out. I mean, or, or, or you know, hand them over to Satan to be tortured, like 24. I don't know. I mean, he'd say something a lot rougher. So something's going on here. Now, the early church understood this problem as well. And so the early church said, well, there might be a couple of things going on. One of the most common viewpoints that I've latched on to because I like it is Paul setting out his measuring sticks. He's got one extreme. You know, obviously, someone could not stand up and claim divine inspiration saying Jesus is accursed. We all know that could not be divinely inspired, right? Okay. So someone may claim it, but it doesn't make it true. By the same token, nobody says Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God's behind it. Nobody truly lifts up Jesus without God's Spirit behind them, right? So what Paul's saying here is if you, he's setting out a measuring stick. Just because someone claims that what they're saying or doing is divinely inspired by God, don't make it so. The content will let you know. You can look at what they're saying to determine whether or not it's from the Lord or not. Simply because David Fleming or Stephen Trammell or Scott Riling or Mark Lanier or anybody you listen to teaches the word simply because someone stands up and says, here's the word of the Lord and let me tell you what it means. Doesn't mean they're right. The word of the Lord is right. The rest of us with trepidation, caution and much study and prayer try to give you some illumination that seems right to us. But Paul's saying the content Does it lift up the Lord Jesus? That's how you know. So within that framework of laying out a yardstick, you know, laying out a yardstick, Paul says, there are varieties of gifts, charismata. There are varieties of concrete expressions of God's giving, even though they come from the same spirit. There are varieties of service that come from the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, the same God who empowers them all. It's a beautiful passage in the Greek. And since I'm taking two weeks on this now, I got to show you this. This is one of the most incredible things in the Bible. Okay? It's, it's incredible because Paul wrote it as... Um, uh, Paul, Paul... Well, let me show you. Okay? Um, it's like this. If you are reading the Greek, it's, it's very parallel in its structure. Let me see if I can find it on the screen. So Paul, in the Greek, look at the way he words it. He says it's it, varieties, gifts, there are. Sounds like Yoda. Variety, gifts, there are. <laughs> Variety, gifts, there are. But same spirit. Okay, then his very next line is this. Varieties, I didn't spell it right, did I? Varieties of services or ministries of service. There are, but same Lord. 
Then he says, varieties of activities. He just comes up with another word. There are, but same God. This is, he doesn't use the word trinity, but as Gordon Fee says, this is the stuff that the church understanding of the trinity comes from. And there's no question that for Paul, you know, the Lord is Jesus. He speaks often of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's Paul's word for the Father. That's Paul's word for Jesus Christ. And of course, the Spirit is Paul's word for the Spirit. So Paul is saying that there's a variety of gifts that all come from the same one God. Father, Son, and Spirit. There are varieties of gifts, but they all come from the same God. And Paul's point is, within our church, there's going to be a variety of gifts, even though they all come from the one God who himself has diversity. We are a united church, even though we have diverse gifts. My gifts should not operate in exclusion of Sandy's. We should work together. Same with Stan. We should work together. That's the beauty of God's plan. God's got diversity in himself, yet he is one. In the same way, we have diverse gifts, yet they work for the common good. This is what Paul's setting out. You with me? This is why we've got to keep the flow of this. So within the flow of this, Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts... But the same Spirit, varieties of service, the same Lord, varieties of activities, the same God who empowers them all, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So here they are. To one, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. To another, to the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. Another, ability to distinguish between spirits. Another, various kinds of tongues. Interpretation of tongues. See, we've got all these gifts. What do we do with these? Are these the only gifts? No, Paul's not making an exclusive list. As I added a slide quickly. Paul's not, uh, 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 these aren't the only gifts. Bill Young told me this morning he has a spiritual gift. You all know Bill Young? He sits right over here. Raise your hand, Bill. Okay. Bill Young says he has a spiritual gift. He calls it the gift of parking. <laughs> he says God gives him parking places right near the front every time. He said last week they cut church here. They did not come to this class. And he said he knew he was, I was speaking on charismatic gifts. They didn't come to this class. He said all week long he couldn't find a parking place. This morning, he said to his wife, Ann, we're going to class. I, 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 I'm feeling horrible. It's very clear to me I need to be there. He said he pulled up right at the front doors, the parking space open. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a concrete expression of God's giving, but I'm not going to put it past the Lord. Okay? I'll also tell you, scholars spend a lot of time trying to figure out why Paul put these gifts in the order Paul put them. And I've read some really impressive reasons that in and of themselves are incredible teaching tools. But I'll also tell you that Mark Lanier, the lawyer cynic, views some of those as what we've taken 
where we've taken our beliefs and theology and tried to, to get Scripture to mold around them instead of reading Scripture for its context. And this is one area where my friend was upset with me because I didn't say these are in this for this reason. You know, they're in this order for this reason. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of samples. We've got five minutes left, so we'll just dig, dip, dip our toes in the water here. We'll come back next week and go to more detail. But let me give you an example of one. The utterance of wisdom. What is the utterance of wisdom? Well, I mean, scholars debate, churches debate, wisdom must mean this, wisdom must mean that, blah, 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 blah. I want to tell you, wisdom is a buzzword with the Corinthians. Remember I told you we keep it in context. They'd written to Paul. There were some of them that were claiming to be incredibly wise and super spiritual as a result. They had puffed out their wisdom chest. They had expanded their wisdom head. And so if we go back and look... I think Paul chose this word first, not because it's the most important, which is one of the main reasons, but because it's one that really resounded with these Corinthians. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul starts out. Look at this word wisdom and how he's used it. He says... Hey, church, you're all divided up. Some of you Paul, some of you Peter, some of you Apollos, some of you Christ. He says, I'm, look, I'm glad I only baptized one or two of you because this, this is ridiculous. You think you're baptized, whoever baptized you is who you're the follower of? That's just ridiculous. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. And look at this. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. Oh, we speak with wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Because the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, to us who are saved. It's the power of God for it's written. What's it written, Paul? It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So Paul says, who claims to be wise? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through the world's wisdom. See, for Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. See, the, to, the, to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. You know, he goes on to say, look down here, because of him, you're in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty, lofty wisdom. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Whoops. Wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, but it's not a wisdom of this age. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ crucified. See, we impart this, look at this, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's wisdom. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. 
And it's taught interpreting spiritual truths by the Spirit to those who are spiritual. That's what wisdom is. And some have a gift of uttering wisdom, of proclaiming Jesus Christ and interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And when they do that, it's a charismata. It is a charismatic gift because they're proclaiming the Lord Jesus And nobody can do that except by the Spirit of God. That is a concrete expression of God's giving. Don't be thinking this must be talking about someone who goes into a shaken frenzy and all of a sudden starts spewing forth words that have such incredible sounds of wisdom. Paul's just being blunt here. When God, through His Holy Spirit, explains spiritual truths about Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God... You are speaking words of God's wisdom. And that is a concrete expression of God's giving that we would concretely be able to hear someone proclaim the wisdom of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't tell me it's got to be a miracle because he used the word charismata. Oh, it's a miracle, but not in the sense of the virgin birth or something uncontrollable. It's a miracle because God's Spirit has reached down and stirred in the hearts and minds of men. And women, an understanding which they're able to teach and share by God's Spirit who clears out the hearing of the listeners. And it's miraculous, you bet. Because it would not happen without God at work. As David said this morning, Paul said in Romans, No man seeks God, God seeks man. So that's about halfway through the lesson. Let's stop. We'll finish next week. Would you? <laughs> would you? Would you? But would you? Would you join me in prayer before we we conclude here? Lord, we we laugh before you because you've put laughter in our hearts. We smile before you. You've put joy in our lives. Lord, it's not that life's without struggle. Oh, it is. And but for your spirit, we could not endure those struggles. But for your guiding hand and faith and confidence that you you care about us, Lord, we would be miserable. But we find joy in you, even in the midst of life and its difficulties. And I celebrate who you are and what you did for us through Jesus with my friends here today. We are honored to be your children. We are honored that you give us concrete expressions of your giving. Where we can see and hear and sense and touch. A bit of who you are and what you've done for us. We fall before you as your children saying, Lord God, you are our father. Through Jesus Christ, amen.